<laughs> just, a, just a real high school locker room of dogs. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is Garden Variety Perverts, not the compost bin of history, which you were expecting to listen to. Well, I was told it was also not the compost bin of history. It's just compost bin of history. That's correct. All right, good, because I've well, been confused this whole time. <laughs> well, let me confuse you a little bit more. Basically, this is going to be a podcast within a podcast. Okay. Well, I don't really like Chris Nolan, but I'll go for this. We're going to start this out as our garden advice show. Because we talk a lot about gardening on the compost bin yes. of history. And I thought, Piece of why advice don't we just... number one, have a garden. There you go. All right, end of the episode. Let's move yes. on. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, now basically this is a way for us to talk about like specific issues in gardening. And then people who are interested in that can you know use this for their advantage. And people yes. who just want to hear about the environmental history, they can just move on by. Yeah, so we're going to talk about how big of a problem insects are and uh, broadleaf The enemy of trees. All that stuff. Yeah. Just the classic enemy of trees. You got to get really kill all the insects is the thing. Yeah. You really are going to have to know uh, your fertilizer ratios too. I hate bees. Just give me more nitrogen and phosphorus. Oh, of course. You can never have too much nitrogen. We don't need organic matter. We just need pure nitrogen you mean organic to dump matter. on the field. Organic liquid. It's what more plants like, crave. More like organic doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked brain, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, Slavoj Žižek once said that cinema is the <sighs> ultimate pervert art. And... On this show, our thesis is that gardening is the ultimate pervert hobby. Because when I, you think about it, gardening, the kind of the least important thing about gardening is actually the food. Right? Well, it depends on how bad of a year you're having, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty privileged point of view, bud. Oh, sure. Definitely. Definitely. But, what, <laughs> but for that... By that, by extension, what I'm saying is that, you know, the process of gardening is actually the important thing. It's all about, like, how you grow the food, not food itself. Because if you were to just, say, start gardening from page zero, if you were to say, just in terms of raw efficiency, is it efficient to garden? The answer is, you know, like, no. It would be way easier, cheaper to just buy food as you do, right? Yeah, for one year. Exactly. For one year, but as you get, oh, as yeah. you continue okay, so to we, garden, so we shouldn't do it because all that matters is this year. Well, this is exactly the point, right? Because the whole point of gardening is the process; it's the like accumulation of skill. It's becoming better over time. And by yeah, you if know, my year garden, five or ten, if my garden doesn't turn a profit in the first year, I mean, how am I going to get any investors? <laughs> exactly what I'm saying, dude. Gardening is an ideological pursuit. Not a, not necessarily a purely material pursuit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. The way we garden reflects the way we look at the material world. It's it's oh, yeah. an expression of our ideology. Yeah, and we definitely. can we can 
you know, whenever I go to visit someone, even if I've someone I know, someone in my family, the first thing I always want to see is the garden. I'm like, show me to your gardens, you know, gar- grandma or aunt or whomever. <laughs> and if, Listen, and if the person, Granny, where are you keeping the tomato plants? Huh? <laughs> I know you got some garlic over here. When'd you plant them? October, November? Yeah. Yeah. And then I go out there and I scratch around in the soil <laughs> And I maybe like tug on a few leaves. I like you know assess the the girth of yeah. the the of the lemon balm. You know, you having any blight problems this year? Or, <laughs> you know, yeah. I you know check the undersides of squash leaves for powdery mildew. Yeah. Even if it's like the dead of winter, I'll kind of like you know like scratch around, see see how they've like cleared out last year's growth oh, yeah. and that kind of thing. How many Colorado so, potato beetles did you kill last year? <laughs> <laughs> and even and even if people don't have gardens, I'll still I still like to look at like potted plants and stuff, and I'll you know put a finger in, see how they're being cared for, and that kind of thing. <laughs> just slip but one in real quick. <laughs> just slip a little finger in, and that's why I'm saying gardening is the ultimate pervert hobby, because right, in I fact, think, <laughs> I think you took this a little farther than I did. Oh, I'm serious. Yes. I haven't fingered any house plants. <laughs> because it first of all involves the rejection of the efficiency of global capitalism, even common sense oftenly, in favor of a perverse form of sexual expression, often in an explicitly sexual context when we consider the way that we garden and how you have to do things like what Mendel did by like manipulating the sexual organs of plants, doing controlled breeding experiments, these types of things picking different varieties, all of that's like sex stuff that you're kind of doing in this weird, perverse way to express your own ideology. And um, then you go around and you perv on other people uh, in their gardens. And you say like, what's this person doing that I'm not? Am I better than them? (laughs) I mean, I don't really do that. Usually I'm just (laughs) like, man, (laughs) these guys fucked it up too. Well, I guess rarely do I go and see somebody's garden and besides on like YouTube, it's pretty rare for me to go to somebody's garden and be like, oh, wow, they've really figured it out. (laughs) Well, that exactly. Yes, exactly. But I am seeing a lot of people fucking it up right now. And that's why I wanted to start this show so we could kind of do a topical rundown on like, you know, gardening, gardening advice and common gardening problems. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure this phrase has never been uttered before, so I'm going to use it as the title. But uh, winter is coming. Uh, that's that thing everyone likes. Nope, never been said. Not no? not popular phrase. Just a statement that oh. you know. On December 21st, we're I mean, actually is going winter to be coming? Winter. Please, like where the hell is winter? <laughs> yeah, it was like 60 degrees and very sunny here today in December. So. It wasn't a little 60, winter would be I nice. Mean, it was probably all of 50 here. Well, in spite of that, this is actually going to get even okay. deeper at what we're talking we about today. It was, it was warm enough today where I started my day off by having to go pull one of the semis out of the mud with the payloader because <laughs> the once frozen ground has turned into soup. Exactly. And that freeze thaw cycle, which could be exasper- exacerbated under climate change. Oh yeah, it's totally. actually a really important thing to consider for your garden, and that's gonna—that's the topic of today—is how to winterize your garden, how to prepare for those exaggerated freeze-thaw cycles as we move into the more wintry months. 
So yeah, you know, I stroll around, I perv on other people's gardens. One thing I'm seeing a lot of are uncovered garden plots right now, where it's just bare soil, plucked clean, exposed to the sun, snow, and wind. Well, you got to keep them tidy. You wouldn't want to, you know, expose them to bugs or fungus or any of that stuff. The enemies of all plants. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, it looks very neat. It looks tidy. Does it? Um, I mean, I am a huge dirt <laughs> nerd, but it's not that pretty. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think it looks really ugly, just barren soil, particularly barren organic well, soil. Like, like philosophically, I think it looks ugly. Aesthetically, uh, I don't know. Well, it looks it looks neater than if there's a bunch of shit on it, I guess. Well, I don't think so. Yeah. Raccoons don't think so. Right. And of course, you know, one thing we see all the time in nature is just like barren organic soil plucked clean of all plant growth, right? Like that's just all over the place in nature when you think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not from West Virginia, but I've seen pictures and I mean, that would that would basically be true there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they the mountaintop removal, right? Like it's just like all over the place, just out yes. there in nature. Diverse <laughs> ecosystems. Well, yeah, actually, if we think about areas that are productive over any time period of the year, pretty much except for like deserts um, with sandy soils and exposed rock, most soils that grow plants are actually never bare. They're never uncovered by leaf litter, mulch, or some kind of plant material. Yeah, just by accident, though. The plants don't have anything to do with that. Well, exactly. That's just um, the rhythm of the system. And so when we when gardeners go at the end of the year and they take out all of their vegetable crops or their perennial plants and then they yes. leave like a bare plot of soil, that's actually a horrible, terrible idea. For them. For, for the garden. You should go figure out if they had tomato blight and you should collect all of those things that they're throwing in the trash. Right, because then you could use that for your own advantage in your own compost. Yes. So that's I, that's the heart of I the support, issue. I support like leaf biomass capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> I know you've been practicing it a little bit. Um, totally. Recycling some of those leaves. And we're going to talk about how leaves can be used in this type of setting. But I just wanted to kind of point out, though, like you said earlier, Jared... There is really no like end state of gardening. There's no correct way to do gardens. There's a whole lot of incorrect ways. Exactly. And so what we're saying right out <laughs> the gate on, here. <laughs> turn on a gardening commercial. You'll see all of them. Yeah, you'll see all the incorrect ways. Like <laughs> spray Roundup on your dandelions. Nope. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> Eat your dandelions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or just don't. Just let them be. Like, they're fine. <laughs> you Dude, <know? laughs> the French trappers purposely brought them over here for culinary uses. Eat the dandelions. Yes. yes. <laughs> they're delicious. Um, yeah, so uh, there's no right way to do it, but there are lots of wrong ways to do it. And the wrong way to do it is definitely just to leave your garden bare okay. soil through the winter. There is one right way to do it. What's the, and that what's is that? to do it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, hold on. Like even gotta... if you're even if you're screwing up, that's fine. Right. Just try to do better. Just do something that kind of doesn't conform to this like weird yeah. like um, 
I guess like the neighborhood homeowners association version of gardening where you well, must pluck number it one, clean. Don't, <laughs> don't ever, ever sign a homeowner's agreement. <laughs> <laughs> and if the house you're looking at has one run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause they'll probably make you do shit like this. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, if you guys are out there doing any of these practices, we're going to talk about and call them bad, which I mean, they are bad. Don't feel bad about it. Learn from it. Yes. Learn from it. Cause I did this shit for a while myself. You know, I didn't, I grew up doing all this stuff. This is how I learned my passion for gardening is Mm -hmm. by, or was by like doing all of the things that we're going to talk about here. And I had a bit of an existential crisis when I went to school and learned about like all of the awful (laughs) things we were doing both on the farm and in the garden. Yeah. But that did not help me. Trust me. Yeah, because then they just taught you other awful things to do instead of those awful things. Well, I'm just saying, feeling <laughs> bad about yourself is no way to like improve yeah. yourself. That's not. Yeah, you got happen. like you said, you got to do it. You got to try. Yeah, throw it out. Get the wall. out there and do yeah. it. Fuck up. Try again. Uh, just keep doing it. Find somebody that knows what's going on and see if maybe you can ask them some questions. And here we are on our garden advice show. Um, s- send in your, your gardening questions to compost of history yeah. at gmail.com. And I am going to fast forward to the end and tell you that if you start doing this, eventually you'll go like entire weeks where someone has given you something free that you wanted like every single day of that week. Yeah. I know you were raking in leaf bags. Huh? Oh dude, I was, I was just going around town picking up leaf bags but i'm not even talking about that i just mean uh you know if you meet a bunch of other people that are gardening i mean i'm sure it's with any other thing with any other like interest but sure if you start to get like a network of other people you know that are out there gardening and doing different things than you um eventually you're going to start trading stuff with them and then you know you're just going to be getting like chicken broth from some friend and you're mm-hmm. going to give him hot sauce and then your other friend is going to give you some plums and then you're going to give her back um, whatever. You're going to give her two shovels that you don't need anymore. Or even stuff like, you know, a little bit of scrap wood. Like you might have some project going on and you're like, I just, I don't have this one piece of, you know, like two by four or whatever. And you know, you'll just call up one of your friends. They'll be like, Oh yeah, I've got a bunch in the shed. Yeah. Or if you get insanely lucky, uh, you might have somebody give you like, I don't even know (laughs) over a thousand dollars worth of shed tin that he's not using anymore. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and Craigslist is a great way to kind of explore some of that with like opportunities just to get pallets, um, manure, you're going to be buying stuff. You're going to be buying stuff at first, but you're going to be meeting people. Right. That's the important part. And then you're going to figure out how you can do it without having to buy stuff. You'll get that initial cost out of the way. Yeah, uh, out at Compost Acres, I have paid for, like, nothing that's out there, basically, except for the trees that I've planted. And even most of them I've gotten for free. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God. Did I tell it? Did I send you those pictures? The The elderberries have all rooted. Oh. They're all starting to leaf out, actually. Oh, shit. All right. And uh, the persimmon cuttings are also starting to leaf out. I don't dare pull one up out of the soil again. Yeah. Because I think I damaged the roots on the first one I pulled out. Yeah. To like look at it. But uh, it seems like I have 100% success, except for the one that I pulled out of the soil. 
Awesome, man. And I have never done that before in my life. I just happened to be going to the dump one day, saw an elderberry bush, mm-hmm. was like, I know that's an elderberry bush. I know I want those. I want to um, propagate this. I don't know how to Sambucus? do it. Sambucus? Uh, Sambucus canadensis, I believe. Right, okay. Yeah. The European one is Sambucus nigra. Okay. I believe. <clears throat> yeah, uh, tell us your process for those cuttings, Jared. All right. Well, it's not my process. I got it from a few people on YouTube and uh, a book, you know. But uh, I read it in a book. <laughs> yeah, I did a little, did myself a book learning, then went out and uh, put it out in the material world. There, boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but, uh, <laughs> so you got to do a little book learning and then uh, you get yourself some shears and you find yourself a road ditch over by the dump and you identify your Sambucus canadensis there. And then you get scolded by the landowner that tells you you're <laughs> trespassing on his land. And then you say, well, no, sir, I believe, uh, this is actually the road ditch. I think your <laughs> land starts about right. And then you walk over and say here, and you say, you know, I'm not, not trying to trespass, not trying to upset nobody. I'm just trying to steal some weeds out of this here ditch. Uh-huh. And then they say, oh, okay. Uh, well, all right. Well, just, uh, yeah, don't go over <laughs> there by that outbuilding. And I would say, you know, wasn't planning on it. Like I said, he was a young, uh, you know, rock star jean wearing diesel pickup driving uh, cool guy. Oh, Probably like a welder or okay. something like that, you know. Yeah, one of those working class Americans. Hmm. Yeah, protective of his assumed road ditch. Yeah, he just saw some <laughs> long. He just saw some giant, long, red-haired man <laughs> standing in his road ditch, apparently. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, he had a, he had an emotional reaction. <laughs> But after you took the cuttings, did you like wrap them in a wet cloth or anything or put them in water? Oh, okay, yeah. So I had uh, tools of the trade, a used shopping bag, and some wadded up pieces of newspaper, actually. Mm, okay. I didn't have any paper towels. That probably would have worked a lot better. But I soaked the newspapers in the sink for about 20 minutes and then stuck them in the bag. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so I kept them nice and wet and... Uh, I actually did like a test plot out in situ, and then the ones we're talking about here are the ex situ ones. Um, You've just put uh, those in like what um, a growing medium. So I got this. I bought this uh, like glass pitcher thing with a spigot on it because uh-huh. uh, me and my roommate wanted to make sangria one time. So we made sangria, and uh, it was awesome. But this thing sucked as like a sangria dispenser. So now it is my new propagation greenhouse cloche thing. Okay. So I obtained the cuttings. Um, You can look up the process for taking good cuttings of elderberry. It's pretty easy. That's why I started with elderberry, apparently. Okay. Um, It's a pretty, as far as hardwood cutting propagation goes, it's one of the easier ones. And then did you use a, a root hormone or anything? Yep, uh, I think I got it right here. And and these rooting hormones are commercially available. There's lots of different kinds. 
Oh yeah, it cost me six bucks. We got ourselves some Garden Safe Take Root Rooting Hormone. And by the way, when you buy one of these little things, this this is enough rooting hormone to last you for ten years, unless you're like an industrial rooting operation. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's two ounces, but just a dash will do you. Yeah. Because basically you just like get a little bit in the cap and then you tap your exposed cut into it and that triggers a hormonal response, a physiological response in the plant's tissue to start sending out roots in that spot. <clears throat> yeah, don't they get it from like tomato plants or something? Um, I'm not it, it, I'm not sure how they isolate it, but the main hormone they're using is called auxin, which is kind of a universal plant growth hormone. Sounds pretty generic. It is, yeah. I've done it with, uh, I've even successfully grown like weed cuttings based on that stuff, so. This one's saying the active ingredient is indole-3-butyric acid. 0.1% is the active ingredient, and then other ingredients is 99.9%. <laughs> so It gets the job done, though. <laughs> it's anybody's guess what this actually is. But yeah, that, that indole uh, butyric acid, that's like the chemical name for oxen, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's a little bit of an aside on how you would maybe go about propagating your own uh, wild shrub cuttings. But Yeah, and if I'm, any, uh, if I'm any lesson to you at all, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, but you're doing it. It's working. Yeah, I'm figuring it out. You, know? you got roots growing. It's working. I don't know why or how. James knows all these hormone <laughs> names and whatever. I don't know any of that shit. You don't need to know any of that shit. But you're going to get these uh, little... And probably the same thing is happening um, in that subsurface layer below the freeze-thaw zone in your in your uh, wild plantings as well. Oh, I'm assuming so. So for that one, I prepared them the same way. Like the cuttings were all done the same way obtained mm -hmm. from the ditch. And then the ones in the wild, I also used rooting hormone, but I prepared like a little site, dug up some, you know, dug up some dirt, roughed it up a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, added a little compost to it. And uh, then pushed my cuttings after dipping them into root hormone down into the ground. And then yeah. I covered them with leaves and watered them thoroughly. Right. And that kind of loops it back in with our topic. Cause you were doing this in November, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's like two weeks before Thanksgiving, All maybe, right. maybe three. Okay. But the, and the reason you, you used that mulching though, was because you wanted the sensitive areas on that plant where growth is still occurring in winter to be below the main freeze thaw action of the temperature fluctuation. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about winter is it's not really the freezing that gets you. It's when it freezes and thaws and then freezes again and thaws. That's what breaks up part of your soil structure out. and dries out critically as well. Yes. Is the thing that I don't. That's why I put all those leaves and water on it because I want them. Basically, it's not warm enough for fungus to be a problem. So right. I want to keep them nice and wet and they can freeze and thaw. That's going to maybe damage them a little bit. But if they dry out, it's game over. Right. And so um, when you have in a garden plot or wherever you're growing, whether it's like shrubs or even trees, wherever your growing space is, that bare soil in wintertime is going to lead to nutrient loss. It's going to lead to just erosion of your actual growing medium. 
and impaired soil structure. And it can actually, if it's bare soil, it can damage the sensitive parts of plants that might be close to the top of that soil. Um, sensitive uh, root growth, uh, tubers, rhizomes. And that's why covering your soil up with something is really, really important to Basically, get through the winter. If it's just bare soil, it is not habitat. Right. For anything. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, how, how garden soils would ideally operate. Basically, when you think of garden soils, you're thinking of soils with a higher than normal organic content. Well, you should be. Yeah, that's the ideal. But all soil is basically a mix of dead stuff and tiny rocks, right? The more dead stuff, the better. Garden soils have more dead stuff, but also, critically, more living things as well. Mm -hmm. They've got what I've called here nature's composters. Uh, first and foremost, you already mentioned it, Jared, fungi. Um, why do we like having fungi in our soil? Don't mushrooms eat plants? Some of them. But they're eating the dead plants often. Yeah. So they're helping our breakdown. I know that one thing you've talked about is like how you get fungal soil, particularly for like uh, woody perennials. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, woody perennials are predisposed to having mycorrhizal associations. So, Would you explain have... mycorrhizae? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm I putting him on it? the spot. <laughs> okay. No, probably not. Okay, so mycorrhizal fungi are fungi that basically grow attached to tree roots and also kind of exist in the soil. And they pretty much trade nutrients and stuff with trees and uh between trees they're like the inner they're like the internet of trees right is that is that a good thing the internet of trees i no, i think i think you nailed it it's a symbiotic okay. relationship um and you need to have fungi to have a basically a productive like forest or uh even like yeah. shrub ecosystem but but i mean you can't you can't say it like that, I guess. Well, no, but because, even like, in if my it's garden, healthy, like it can't exist without that. But if it's healthy, it has that. So, right. Uh, I don't know. It's not like a cause and effect. It's it's a cycle. It's a process. Yes. Yeah. Um, but cer certainly, even in my garden soils, I get you know all kinds of weird varieties of mushrooms coming up just in my gardens. Oh yeah. Remember I've when had, I accidentally I had grew edible ones this year? <laughs> Remember when I accidentally grew those hay mowers mushrooms? Yeah, and, um, accidentally. That was a huge accident. <laughs> it was. They just came up. <laughs> no, but I remember going to that haunted house afterwards. Yeah, I accidentally <laughs> grew a bunch of hallucinogenic, mildly hallucinogenic mushrooms in my garden. And um, we that was ate them the and went to a haunted house. That was the best mistake you've ever made. <laughs> that was a good really, idea. it was a haunted field, though. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, but then we also have things like worms. Worms are, not only do they break down organic content and improve the soil, they're also improving the soil structure with their little wormholes, you know. They're providing avenues for air and water to get lower in the soil strata. Also, they're slimy as hell, and plants love slime. Yeah, and they're just cool, you know. Who doesn't <laughs> love a nice earthworm? 
Uh, well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> and then microorganisms as well. We're talking about, you know, all the, the little bacteria and stuff uh, that are kind of largely responsible for a lot of the actual breakdown. But they're also involved in those mycorrhizal associations. You have bacteria in there. And um, all three of those are the living components of soil. And ideally, you want to have them throughout your top layers, your organic layers of soil. But when you have bare soil in the winter, they're getting pushed down because of those freeze-thaw cycles. The freeze-thaw destroys the cells of the fungi. And again, critically, it's not just the freeze. If the soils just freeze and stay frozen... That's probably fine, but it's when it freezes and thaws out and dries out. That's what is wreaking havoc on those high organic matter soils. Yeah. And I mean, if you got bare soil, sure, in theory, maybe they're getting pushed down, but maybe they're just not there because if you have bare soil, you're probably doing a bunch of other things that is threatening those populations. Right. And so I also, I'll also point out that because garden soils in particular typically have a higher organic content, they by nature hold more water, but that also means they're more susceptible to those freeze thaw cycles. And when they're bare, that also means that they can dry out quicker because of their higher osmotic potential. Uh, are you just going to drop osmotic potential and act like everyone's going to know what that is? Uh, because of their higher ability to exchange water with the environment around them. Thank you. Um, but we talked about osmosis a couple times. Like I know, the last but episode, come on, but dude. You're right. People are going to jump in because they want the garden. I know advice. what it fucking means, but yeah. I can't. I can't just like on the spot define it. You're right, Jared. Yes. <laughs> uh, so. So yeah, that freeze thaw cycle in a in a bare garden soil is going to disrupt the soil structure. It's going to drive living things deeper into the ground if they're even still there because of your terrible gardening practices. Well, well, well. That sounds like judgment. Sorry, excuse me. You're unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> and then also think about all that wind that's that's blowing over those soils in the winter. You know, that's just taken taken organic matter. It's taken valuable growing medium off the top and spreading it around your your yard and blowing it all the way to, you know, Mississippi or wherever. And it's just making it colder than it would otherwise be. Exactly. And all of that also equates to nutrient loss as well. So what happens when you have a bare garden soil is that by spring, after all that freeze thaw, you have basically um, an area where the top several inches are basically like scorched. They're devoid of life because of all that frost action. And what it you ends up being... have the perfect conditions to start sprouting the most vigorously growing plants oh, yeah. you can come across. Well, that's what I was going to say. You end up with what I call these really dry, friable organic soils, which means they break apart really easily. They turn to like kind of a fine powder, very silty. And yes, which is the best thing to grow in that is weeds. Yeah. If you've ever let your, a lot of weeds. If you've ever let your tobacco get too dry, it's like <laughs> that, but for dirt. Exactly. But yeah, so what do you do? Well, simply you got to cover it up. You know, you got to cover it up with something. Ideally, yeah, cover it up something. with some Roundup, baby. <laughs> well, I was going to say later on, you could cover it with like a tarp or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, glyphosate. I mean, I would prefer the tarp over glyphosate. <laughs> the tarp actually will also help keep weeds down 
and it'll keep moisture in the soil, right? Mm, glyphosate might even be cheaper now. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to do an episode on herbicides and pesticides. Plus, so. how how is that tarp going to get in my drinking water? <laughs> you answer me that. Uh, I, I I don't have a good one for you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about how you go about covering up the garden soils. And I just want to make a point here. I'm going to talk about four different things, but none of these are exclusive. You could use them in combination with any of these yes, other ones. And none of them can beat Roundup's rebate program. <laughs> I, we, yeah, it's our first episode of Garden Variety Perverts, and we're already sponsored by Monsanto. <laughs> oh, no, no. Bayer now. Oh, excuse me. Bayer. The, they, wait, the Germans? No, they they didn't do anything awful in World War II. What are you talking about? <laughs> don't, don't Google Bayer World War II, please. <laughs> All right, so the first thing you want to use to cover up your garden soil for winter is the actual plants you are growing in your garden. A lot of people erroneously think that you need to remove the plants that were growing on the spot from the area. But actually, especially with yeah, nitrogen-rich plants. All the nutrients that it took to grow those plants, that that didn't that came from the air. Well, I, I mean, honestly, part of them did. Well. But, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah like yeah, the carbon did. <laughs> Like the carbon dioxide that, you know, was being used in photosynthesis, a lot of that came from the air. Yes, a lot of it also is coming from your actual garden soil. I was going to say, unless there's just not going to be air anymore, I don't think that's the part <laughs> of the equation we need to worry about here. But especially <laughs> the plants that are like heavy nitrogen feeders. I'm thinking about corn. I'm thinking about tomatoes, uh, things like squash, uh, winter and summer. Those are taking a lot of valuable nitrogen out of your garden soil. And nitrogen is one of those things that, well, in, in monoculture, they just dump it on in, in the form of anhydrous ammonia because it's one of the biggest things that correlates to healthy plant growth. Yeah, it's uh, an excellent investment. <laughs> uh, so one of the simplest things to do when you're cutting down your garden in the fall is to just chop your plants up into smaller pieces so they break down easier and leave them lay right where they were growing at. Yeah, you know like how in forests, like when a tree falls down and then after it falls down, it removes itself from the forest? <laughs> no, I didn't know about that actually. Oh, no? <laughs> I kind of thought that like in the forest when most plants die, they just lay there until they naturally decompose. All right, well, let me devise, <laughs> give me about... Maybe about a minute and a half, and I'll devise some type of marketing scheme that will <laughs> capitalize on that point of view. All right. Now, we're going to get a little controversial here, though, because what I'm saying is when you're doing this initial removal of those garden plants, if you're going to mulch them in place, you might want to remove diseased and mildewy foliage just to the compost pile. Some people would say to throw that stuff away entirely. I think that's overkill. Yeah. But I don't want it to be in the same place um, where those plants are. Well, I'm going to go ahead growing. and say, take the maybe out of that. Definitely do that. Yeah. Do not put diseased plants back onto the soil as is. Well, and on top of that, you don't want to grow the same plants in the same place twice, if we're talking annuals anyway. Well, depending on the, on the plant. But yeah, in general. 
general rule of thumb, you want to move those annuals around on kind of a two or three year cycle. Especially anything that's a anything that's a heavy nitrogen feeder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the the healthy foliage that isn't diseased, yep, just leave it lay right where it is. And you can even chop it up a little bit and work it into the top you layer of chop soil. It up if if that is if that is realistic. Yeah. It'll just it'll break down quicker. Exactly. Um, and again, these are not mutually exclusive. Like I've done this in, in addition to adding mulch on my garden beds. Oh yeah, definitely. Also, uh, don't do the same things in every area of your garden. Do different things and mm-hmm. see what seems to work better. Yeah, that's the whole thing with so permaculture. Have an area, yeah, have an area where you're going to chop everything up really fine and have a different area where you don't. Mm-hmm. And then see what happens because one of those is going to break down and you're going to get better soil quicker. The other one's probably going to have more birds coming through it and things like that. Well, and that leads me right into this next one for potential winter covers, which is mulch. And I was going to say what mulch you want to use really depends on the needs for the bed. And again, yeah, there's no right Lowe's, answers. You want to get their uh, That's right. green dyed um, pressed wood chips. Yep. And use that as a mulch for everything. Really, and the more expensive that the mulch is, probably the better it is as well. Yeah. You know, if you're paying $30 a bag, that's a good mulch. Especially if it's organic dyed mulch. That's uh, (laughs) that's what you really want. No, ideally, you would not um, use any mulch that you have to buy. Uh, So here's. Are you you trying to tell me you can just get mulch for free from any tree service if you tell them? You know, in autumn... Oh, I'm jumping ahead again. Sorry. So in autumn, uh, leaves fall off of trees. I don't know if you were aware of that. But leaves can actually <laughs> be used as a mulch. Maybe if you're <laughs> some pussy-ass deciduous tree. <laughs> kind of forget. What's this, losing, what's this losing leaves BS? <laughs> so here's a few different mulches that you can use. Things like... Uh, leaves that just fall off of your trees your deciduous trees you can use those whole or you can run like your lawnmower or just like a clipper over them or something and chop them up a little bit also i use whole leaves when when james says your trees he means your neighbor's trees uh strangers trees whoever maybe bag them up uh right if people will bag them up for you and leave them by the by the street to for you to pick up if like if if you're having a trouble um, understanding like all of this talk about nitrogen and osmotic potential and all that type of stuff. If you take one thing from this episode, it should be that your job is to get as many leaves as possible and then put them <laughs> on the soil. Yeah. I think that's a good Just takeaway. Do that and you, it'll take you far. Um, do couple other use, things. Do not use grass clippings. Grass clippings are poison. Don't do it. <laughs> oh wait are you being serious about that now or not yes i'm being serious unless you know what you're doing stay away from grass clippings see i've been using grass clippings as a mulch on my gardens basically all year i'm not using it as a fall mulch yeah but well that's like but my you have extenuating mulch. circumstances number one you've got a hugel bed i do but using just straight up grass clippings is asking for disaster now uh, what what are you talking about like well i mean that's a happen? whole lot of nitrogen Right. And uh, they start breaking down. If you don't cut that up with enough carbon, uh, Mm -hmm. you're going to just get 
you're going to get a ton of anaerobic decay. It's going to get slimy. It's going to get stinky. And okay. I see. I see what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Use leaves. Leaves mm-hmm. are good. Until you know what you're doing, stay away from grass clippings. Yeah. So this summer I was using. Also, yes. Pesticides and all the other stuff you were talking about. Yeah. You can get pesticides from grass clippings. That's the problem. Um, but leaves are a good source because they're largely devoid of that. But also I'm going to throw out compost. You can use finished compost as a as a cover. Oh, yeah. And you, definitely. And here's a okay, dirty little but that is that is totally like. As a gardener, that is like a big dick move. Like you have enough compost to use that as mulch, <laughs> dude. What you just you're just showing off now. <laughs> well, here's the other thing though: you can even use unfinished compost as a wintertime mulch. Um, oh, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't advise putting unfinished compost on your garden in like the summertime, but in the winter, it's actually not a bad idea at all. Yeah, but given the choice between bare soil and that, do it. Oh, definitely. And then finally, also, uh, yeah, wood chips. If you could, if you have access to wood chips, um, particularly, and you know, oftentimes, by the way, you don't have to buy any of this stuff. You no, even finish compost. I have compost. gotten so many loads of wood chips for free delivered to my house. Right. And in a lot of places, tree services are happy to get rid of their extra. They'll they'll chip oh, yeah. them up and give them give them to you for free. Every time I've done it, they've called me like two weeks later to make sure that I didn't need any more. <laughs> And I'm just like, no, nah, I mean, I did my calculations. I got what I need, bud. <laughs> but also I'll point out that many cities and municipalities will, as part of their recycling programs, they'll also have like wood chipping and composting programs. Oh yeah. If I want to, I can just go to the dump and they'll, they'll use their payloader to load the back of my pickup with as many loads of compost as I want. Right. And sometimes that's a very low, you might pay a little bit, but it's like, you know, 10 bucks for a load of compost, basically. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I trust what's going on at the Sioux City, Iowa dump, <laughs> especially in light of like what's going on with our water system lately. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I think I'm okay on that. <laughs> As to what type of mulch you use, it doesn't really matter. It's better than bare soil, but my rule of thumb, I would I say. I will say bare soil might be better than straight grass clippings. Well, I was going to say for perennial plants, for herbaceous perennials, I would advise leaves. For areas where you're going to be growing annuals next year, I'd probably say put compost on those in addition to, yeah, your leaves or plants you've cut down. And then on woody perennials, maybe some wood chips um, around those. I used, uh, you know, I was trying that back to Eden thing, Mm -hmm. even in an annual garden and... It worked fine. It was just kind of a pain to like plant things and okay. know, stuff like that. But it still worked all right. Yeah, because a lot of this stuff, even if it doesn't break down over winter, you can just pull it apart in spring and then plant in there. And then when you know your sprouts come up or your plants get big enough, you can pull that mulch back in around them. Yeah, and you're good to go. Not a good place. Not a good place to grow tomatoes, though. Not yeah. Um, again, if you're growing tomatoes, I'd say you probably want to compost, use some compost as a fall mulch or winter mulch oh, yeah. on those, in those areas. But this is really going to depend on your soil too. Oh yeah. The definitely. area I'm talking about is extremely heavy clay, but I can grow any brassica I want and it's going to win first prize <laughs> at the county fair. If I want to grow anything else, I'm a little SOL, but yeah. 
Yeah, my garden is the exact opposite. Like, I can't grow brassicas for shit. I can't grow any kind of cruciferous Well, vegetable. they're hard, man. You got to use, like, row covers and... Uh, yeah. You know, oh, Growing brassicas is not easy. But, um, I, I, dude, I do gangbusters with carrot crops. See, Anything? and I can't grow carrots at all because my soil at my grandma's house is cement basically <laughs> so <laughs> anything that grows under the ground i cannot do yeah well and this is what we're talking about is like you got to find what works for your area and try, oh, try yeah. different there things. are no good generalities in gardening because no. you can't you can't tell someone how to garden without knowing where they're gardening mm-hmm. yeah um but we'll try anyway yeah <laughs> except for deserts i have no idea right. i don't i don't know why you live there um <laughs> doesn't leave rain. the desert it freaks alone. me out i uh the next potential cover james can tell you i refuse to move to colorado because it does not rain enough and it freaks me out <laughs> <It's true. laughs> james is scared of the ocean i'm scared of places where it doesn't rain <laughs> i grew up i grew up fucking planting corn dude you, yeah you have i've to tried to rain. get jared out here but he's not <laughs> I'll visit. I'll come. I'll come yeah. climb the mountains. It doesn't fucking rain there. It freaks mm-hmm. me out. <laughs> so the next um, potential winter cover is an actual cover crop. This would be something you might plant a little bit earlier in the fall, like in August or September. But these are plants that can essentially get a firm hold in the soil and start growing in those late season months. And then we'll go dormant over winter and then maybe grow a little bit more in early spring before you then um, cut them back or mulch them or dig them into the soil or something like that. You're thinking root crops here. Well, I'm thinking, yes, some of them are root crops, like turnips are a classic cover crop. Well, if you're looking to improve soils anyway. Yeah, but also things um, like clover can be a good cover crop for fall. And that's not really a root crop, but it still has mycorrhizal action. Yeah. Uh, peas. Yeah, like vetch, peas, mm-hmm. um, all those, the ones that, uh, I don't know what you'd call them exactly, but basically the not root crops. Yeah. Yeah, they grow and they do just fine, but I, I don't think they add even close to as much organic matter as root crops do. Right. Um, well, when cause I you're... was working at that uh, produce farm, mm-hmm. we did a couple trials with like t- a turnip, beet, and potato mix, and then the other one was like clover vetch and field peas yeah and the root crop one did way better the next season and that was a a fall planting as well yep okay fall planted all of them and then tilled everything in as soon as you could work it in the spring waited six weeks and then planted our planted our cash crops out basically which were all um annuals i presume right yep and that's the other thing i wanted to say do that for the asparagus fields right if you're going to have stuff that you will need to till into the soil, then you probably want to be putting those on annual areas. Because honestly, if I'm growing perennials in an area, then I don't want to be manipulating that soil at all. I don't like the framing of this supposed need to till this into the soil. Well, that's just it. You don't really need to. So this it's is like an okay. This this is what I'm talking about with root crops. You're right. You do need to till in field peas and milk vetch. And all of that stuff. That's why I favor root crops because you can kind of just let them rot. And then if you cover them with leaves, you get bonus hey. fertilizer. Yeah. You get um, nitrogen and carbon out of that. Which uh, I don't know if we've said that for the 
for the people keeping track at home, the most important things to keep track of when you're trying to compost is carbon and nitrogen. Bingo. Uh, well, we'll do a uh, garden variety perverts on what you can and can't compost. Spoiler alert. It's all compost. Well, <laughs> no, you know what? Even you can't compost an I-beam. <laughs> can't you? <laughs> give me 2000 uh, years <laughs> yeah i was gonna say give me some time and we'll talk about this all right here's my last one for uh covering your gardens in winter time and this is one that a lot of people don't realize but we've already kind of addressed this which is large woody material i'm talking sticks full branches you know um tree stumps no, logs not. yeah there you go you're talking tree stumps and logs well, I I mean, even just like branches or sticks or whatever, things that aren't going to get blown around by the wind, but will yeah. kind of stay in that same place. Yeah. And again, all of this stuff that we're talking about looks terrible from like a conventional homeowners association viewpoint, right? It looks terrible like <laughs> a fucking jackass. But basically, the, the worse it looks to the homeowners association, the more useful it is for your gardening pursuit. Yeah. And the more you should be trying to do it. Yeah. So why large woody material? Well, the main thing is that it actually grow, catches you can make Hugo culture beds out of them, right, because it catches leaves and snow. It serves as like a windbreak, so that keeps the wind off of the garden. But it also catches snow to you know build up your water bank in that garden bed and your Hugo Hugo culture bed, and and then it traps more leaves to add to that organic matter on top. So if you put some like just rough sticks and things that are sticking up at weird angles around on top of your garden bed, that's just going to gather more of that good stuff for you. It's also going to help to insulate the garden garden bed further. And um, yeah, and then it breaks up that wind-related erosion that could occur. And you might get some fungi growing on them in the springtime. Yeah, and you can then use them in new beds that you might be building uh, as a hugel base or something like that. So, uh, do you have any others, Jared? Any other cover cover your garden bed ideas? Ideas? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think we covered most of them. Uh, you know, you could go to like Starbucks and collect coffee grounds. You can use that, I guess. I was going to share an example from a YouTube video from uh, Bruce over at Red Gardens in Clough Garden right. Eco Village. Yeah, let's let, let's see what he's got to say. Uh, and I'll put a link for this in the in the episode notes, but I recall several years ago that he did an experiment where he used apple waste. He knew someone with like a cider manufacturing business and they had tons of like rotten apples and then like apple pulp and stuff that they were just going to throw away. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. We're, you know, we're talking about leaves and field peas and big stumps. What we're actually saying in many different ways is if you have a source of free organic material, get that. Oh, orange peels? If you could get a shitload of orange peels and put that on your garden? Yeah. What do you mean? You're not dude. supposed to compost citrus. What? Oh, you haven't heard that? No, dude. Oh, citrus is like one of the... Some you're not supposed I... to like compost citrus or like garlic and onions and like stuff like that. You haven't heard oh, like, that type of thing? Whatever. No, I haven't heard well, I, of course it's fucking ridiculous, but <laughs> I just can't believe you haven't heard it. It's, uh, no. I feel like it pervades a lot of like beginning, hmm. beginning compost. 
Well, yeah. So uh, what Red <laughs> Gardens did is he took all this apple waste and apple pulp, and then he sheet mulched it. Basically, just spread it all out over the top of a garden, and then he put a tarp on top of that for Which the winter. Conventional composting wisdom says you probably shouldn't do that because it's a ton of nitrogen. Yeah, and then you're also going to like limit airflow and water and all that stuff to it. Yeah, it's questionable. That's the thing. In in theory, it's questionable. The conventional wisdom says you should not do this. Right. But what happened, though, is that that apple pulp basically stayed pretty consistent over most of the winter. But when spring warm-up started happening, all of those freeze-thaw cycles had broken down the cell structure uh, that was remaining in those apples. and Turned them into applesauce. Turned it into applesauce, and it warmed up, and that... that organic activity from the microorganisms the fungi the composters just turned that like turned on in a big way come march and basically you know by by the time you know it was similar timeline to what you you had said in six weeks by planting time around the start of may it was basically just pure compost on top yeah in the top well i mean that's another piece of conventional wisdom that sort of happens to be true um, if you're going to chop down, chop and drop stuff, or if you're going to try to till in a cover crop, um, mm-hmm. you know, killing these plants basically and letting them break down for a while, yeah. conventional wisdom is six weeks is pretty much what it's going to take to not burn all of your plants with nitrogen. Yeah. And, you know, it's a good, it, that's a good rule of thumb to, to work off, I think. But in terms of your overwintering, the main thing really is that you want those freeze-thaw cycles, which are going to become more exaggerated with climate change as there's more thawing out in December which and kind, January. Uh, kind of sucks. I mean, yeah, we're going to, I mean, it's given me something to do in the wintertime, mm-hmm. I guess, but man, it sucks. But yeah, <laughs> well, and, and let me circle back on that, but you want those freeze thaw cycles to occur in organic matter on top of the soil as much as possible and not in the soil itself. The soil should either be frozen or not frozen. It shouldn't be going back and forth between the two. I'm just saying I'm upset because I need even more organic matter than I already needed. Well, and I was going to say one thing I've been doing this winter as it's been dry and periodically warm, where basically we dip down to about 25 in, in the nights and it freezes, freezes that top layer of soil, and then it's up to like 55 in the day. But I've been watering my gardens. I've been basically going out there with the watering can and on all my perennials, I've been giving them water about once yeah. every two weeks um, just because it's dry and it's drying out. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, tomorrow I need to go and probably take you know 50 or so gallons of water out there and water some of these fruit trees i planted yeah Um, conventional wisdom says if you plant trees in early november and water them thoroughly then you shouldn't have to worry about them again until the springtime but i think that's not true anymore i totally agree with that um because because yeah the perennials they're still they're still growing almanac about this right you know uh Maybe I need to figure out, uh, maybe I need like one from, I don't know, Arkansas. <laughs> oh, dude, I just imagined like what the compost bin of history almanac would be. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of irate swearing. 
Has there ever been naked women in an almanac before? <laughs> well, there's going to be two naked hairy men in one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm just saying, we got to balance us out. Yeah. Trust me, if somebody's got to look at me naked, they're going to have to get a couple of naked women. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think we've covered the topic pretty well. Hopefully, there's some people who are now going to go and just, you know, hey, it doesn't have to be a lot. Spend a half hour on it. Just pull some leaves onto your garden bed. That's like the base level, yeah. the minimum that would help. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the the same same advice all you kids got, all you boys got when you were about a sophomore in high school, you know. Just you know, be safe, cover it up. <laughs>